0: Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely.
1: Well, hello again. This is Jason from the Real Estate Investing Foundation Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Peely is going to be out for a few days. We just were lucky enough to welcome our third baby. So very exciting news. And uh, if you do like what you hear, today or other podcasts, feel free to go on iTunes, give us a five-star rating and review, and also you can find this on YouTube as well. And today we welcome Devin Elder. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jason. Well, very great to have you. And a little bit about Devin. Devin is a San Antonio, Texas native and real estate entrepreneur, graduated with a bachelor's in business administration from University of Texas at San Antonio and worked at Rackspace, Celody, and a handful of other small tech companies in sales management and operations before uh, founding DJE Texas Management Group and Transitioning full-time to real estate entrepreneur. And here's where it really jumps out that you. Devin is a principal in a number of real estate investment companies and owns a portfolio of over 600 multifamily investment properties. So that's very exciting, Devin, just from going from tech and jumping so fast into multifamily. How did, how did you first get started in real estate?
0: My first investment was in 2012 and it was in a, a re- single family rental house. And so, you know, you may be familiar or your listeners might be familiar with what Bigger Pockets has coined as, as the BRRRR strategy, right? You buy, let's see if I can get it right. And I always forget how many R's there are. Buy, renovate, refinance, rent, and repeat. So that was actually before I ever even heard of the Burr method from Bigger Pockets, but um, that's how I got started. I bought a house, was pretty beat up. Um, at the time, it needed like eight. I think the bid was like eight or ten thousand dollars of renovations, and that blew my mind. I was like, I'm gonna spend ten thousand dollars on her, which is crazy, you know. And now, now I'm looking at you know, her dollars yeah. plus budgets on this, you know, multi family. Like, ah, this property needs like a you know, 1.2 million in rehab, that's fine, and it's like totally commonplace. But at the time, first property, uh, still probably the scariest project I did, and now, you know, I do those things in my sleep, but um. It was really cool because, you know, it it, it got me started, and uh, ended up being a great investment. I held it for for years, but what it did was it showed me kind of that that Burr model was feasible. And then I refinanced out most of my capital, and so I didn't have a lot of money into it. So I didn't start with much capital. So to to do an investment that um, was producing cash flow and everything, all the other benefits of rental real estate, um, and not have to have much capital in it. it, it you know, it was a light bulb for me to say, well, I could do more of these. And so that's that, That's what followed the next couple of years was doing a whole lot more of those.
1: You know, it's striking because you, you hear a lot that people are either on two sides of the real estate coin, either they're always wanting to do a deal, but never do a deal, or they do a number of deals. And it's that first deal that's really just the hardest one, even if you go into these massive projects. So for listeners out there that, that are maybe at that hurdle point of just trying to get into their first deal, what was it that, that push you over the line and what was it that, that allowed you to mentally get rid of that block and jump into the first deal?
0: Well, I had a mentor on that first deal and that is something that I always recommend to people because there are so many, there are so many missteps in any business that you can make, including real estate and you know, real estate is, is a business. Um, and so while there is a tremendous amount of education out there in the world, I, I don't recommend anybody just go in there and, and try it out themselves without um, really just without having a mentor it could be a partner that's done it you know I consider a mentor to be anyone that has successfully done the thing you want to do not I see a lot of people I don't want to beat this point to death but I, I see people partnering with friends so that they can kind of cling to each other while they both jump in the deep end and and cling to each other while they drown and lose money on real estate. That's not a good strategy. you know. So you got to partner with somebody that, that has done it. And so that's what I did. I had a mentor on that, and that was, um, I think, 100% responsible for me making the mental leap to say, this is something I can do. The fact is that this guy is so nonchalant about what I'm about to do that is so terrifying for me, it's like we're, 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 it's monkey see, monkey do, you know? And, and if you see somebody in the flesh doing it, I don't know, it just does something to your brain where you go, I could do that. And, that, and I yeah. think that was the, that was the point for me.
1: Absolutely love that. We're huge on mentorship and we like the, the process of no new ideas. Find someone who's doing what Bingo. you want to do and just go do it and follow their steps. Don't try and outsmart it. If The process of real estate has been around forever. Do what other people are doing and you can be successful very easily
0: no new ideas. I think I'm going to write that down because I struggle with that. You know, I've been real estate investing for six years and I struggle with that almost on a weekly basis where, you know, boy, I'm going to reinvent the wheel or why hasn't anybody tried it this way? And it's so much wasted energy. I think it's an ego thing, you know, Hey, maybe, maybe nobody's ever, (laughs) maybe nobody's ever tried it this way. And look, if you're, if you're developing apps or you're, you're creating a new business that, that kind of thinking is valid, but, that's a great point. No new ideas. If, some, if you're trying to do something in real estate, somebody's done it before, copy them. Yeah. I was it.
1: just thinking you come from a tech background where creativity is key. So <laughs> that, that transitioning <laughs> right. over, you're probably somewhere in that point. So now, now you take that point with a single family. How long did you run with the single family aspect before you really decided that you wanted to jump into multifamily?
0: Well, it was a... Um, I guess I bought my first house in 2012 and I bought my first small multifamily in 2015. So it was about two years there. My goal really from kind of, so I bought that first house, uh, renovated refinanced, put the tenant in there, started realizing some cash flow. I didn't have much capital tied up in, it in my own. I realized this model works. So once I kind of got used to that idea, I decided I was going to go out and do 10 of those because 10 single family houses that are cash flowing. You know, three hundred fifty dollars a month or whatever it was—that's that's that's meaningful. You know, Um, we had retired my wife through the Dave Ramsey approach, which we started in two thousand and eight, and we took that approach. We paid off all our debt. You know, we paid off our cars. We paid off some relatively minimal student loans. Paid off any credit cards got to the end of that journey and I realized, well, now what? I mean, I don't want to pay off my house. That's got a 4% interest rate on it. That just didn't mathematically make sense. And it didn't seem very exciting. I, you know, I want to grow wealth here. And so, um, you know, once, once I started getting into single family, I kind of saw the possibility to replace my income eventually. And that, you know, I had a, a good six figure corporate job. Um, and so I set out to do that through, through, uh rental real estate, single family, and a small multifamily, I was able to basically match my corporate income in terms of cash flow. And that was my own trigger to let myself quit my corporate job. And so after a number of years, I think it was about three years that I was really burning the candle at both ends. I mean, really hustling to buy rental property and work my corporate job and have kids and do and, and do all that stuff. So really burned the candle at both ends for about three years. Um, you know, going to meeting the, somebody from the title company at a Starbucks on my lunch break to sign a closing doc. And, you know, I mean, just kind of all kind of crazy stuff, but built that portfolio of single family houses and a small multifamily up to, to replace my income. And then finally just, you know, pull the bandaid off and and quit my job.
1: That's awesome. I'm sure you remember that day. Crystal, crystal clear. I do. I
0: yeah. do, yep. Oh, that's great. Yep. Well,
1: let's do a small case study for people out there looking to follow on this strategy of Burr. Walk us through, you, all in San Antonio, so that that's where you've been? Uh, yep. So this may yep. not relate to everybody's market, but give us an idea of, of what a house was that made sense to you to go in there and do the Burr strategy.
0: Well, my thing, just everybody's got different criteria. My criteria was less than 10000 out of pocket when it was all done, uh, after the refinance, renovation, all that stuff, and cash flow minimum of $300 a month. So if it met those criteria, I, I wanted it. Now, the market's changed uh, in San Antonio since 2012. I wish, you know, I, don't, I never want to say I wish, you know, that's silly. Uh, but it would have been nice to have been in a position to buy 100 single-family rental houses in, in 2012. But whatever, there's still opportunities now we find them. Um, so that was my criteria. I want to be able to buy the house with, with I started out with hard money. And then I transitioned, once I had a little track record, I transitioned to private money, still use a lot of private money today, uh, to go in and buy the house and fund the rehab, get everything done, um, refinance out hopefully all of my money, and then put a tenant in there. And at that point, there's not a whole lot of, of management to be done once you've renovated the house, fixed everything, and you've got a good qualified tenant in there, they're paying online. I don't want to oversimplify, you know, managing because on the single family stuff, I've always done the management myself. I don't want to mislead anybody. That's just a total cakewalk. But when they're paying online, you know, frankly, there's sometimes where I get 10 months in and I haven't, I haven't talked to them, and I just email them and say, Hey, you know, the rent's going up three or 4%. Um, we'd love to have you renew. If not, you know, let us know. And then they renew and then that's kind of it. So, I mean, um, that's been the that's been the process. So that was a criteria for me. I wanted I wanted some reasonable cash flow, three hundred a month or above, and I didn't want to be out like thirty thousand so dollars. I just didn't have that much capital. You know, I only only had X amount of capital to invest. I didn't have hundreds of thousands of dollars to deploy into these things. So that was real important. And now it's funny. I'm getting, I've sold a lot of rentals, and now I'm really focused ninety percent of my time on multifamily, big multifamily. But I just bought a rental yesterday for my son. He's nine years old, and I said I'm going to partner with him. And I'm going to get him started with his little portfolio. And uh, so I'm kind of back in the single family game, but in, to teach to my son and he's fired up. And I, I am like so passionate about doing this little single family project because it's, it's not just for me anymore. It's it's like teaching him the ropes. And so that has actually surprisingly got me super fired up about single family again.
1: I love that. I love that. We have, we have a goal to buy a multifamily property for each of our kids. And that that's definitely in the pipeline, yeah. especially for this. And it's just... That's great. I, mean, I want to follow on that and follow back with you and see how much fun he's having by the time he's 13 awesome. or 14. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And,
1: and now we talk about this where you started buying a small multifamily. Where was it that you said, I'm going to sell my rentals and really jump into large multifamily full time?
0: Yeah, once I kind of did that small multifamily, um, I guess I got to this point that's pretty common for real estate investors where you got, you know, you got 20 some odd rentals you're going, man, do I, do I want a hundred of these? Like I I have these big financial goals. I see no reason not to pursue them. Um, you know, I've made it this far. I enjoy growth and and figuring out how to grow things. And so, you know, and and I'd kind of gotten a little weary of, I guess, having, you know, 20 plus units that I'm managing myself and, and, um, it had served its purpose of getting out of the corporate job, but, um, I also was fortunate enough to have some friends that were doing these big hundred plus unit multifamily projects and you know you're just adding zeros and it's a very different animal. I don't want to mislead anybody that multifamily and single family are are, are the same thing. They're not, but fundamentally it's it's kind of the same thing. You know, I mean you're still looking at 70, 80 percent loan to value, you got rental income coming in, you've got maybe some renovations to be done. Um, you know, and so. I guess some of that translated for me to, to, to look at a multifamily. So I'd had my eye on multifamily for years. It just, I needed, a, I needed to build up a little bit of a piggy bank and a war chest to be able to do that. I mean, now, you know, on a multifamily project, you go out and put $150,000 earnest money down. I mean, that's, I didn't start there. You know, I had to build that up. And so what I did was after a couple of years of owning some rentals, I started looking at some, some particular rentals that, eh, look, this area is appreciated a lot. Um, I've got some decent equity in that. Let's sell that. Let's put that back in the piggy bank. And so I just kind of did that here and there, and I'm down to a handful of rentals now. Um, some of them, frankly, were just flips that I couldn't sell. So hey, all right, refinance it, let's rent it. So let's let's revisit it again in five years, right? Which is kind of a nice exit, uh, a last ditch exit strategy to have on a on a house you're trying to flip. Um, that was, so that's an that important
1: point to not jump over, though, is that having yeah. multiple multiple exit strategies for properties is huge. So
0: yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, I don't like to. I don't like to do it. If I set out to flip a house, I want to flip it and make the profit. But, you know, sometimes flipping is, of all the things I've done, you know, wholesaling, rentals, flips, support multifamily, you know, I, th- I still think flipping is one of the more, um, I guess, risky. Uh, I still do a lot of it, but, you know, sometimes you end up having to refinance and and uh, and hold on to them, which it's not the end of the world. So that was, I, I kind of did that piecemeal selling some of those properties you know, full cycle on the single family in order to put some of those chunks of, of 10 and 20 and $30,000 of, of equity capture back in the piggy bank or operating account to be able to go out and, um, you know, have, have the capital to go out and take down, you know, 100 plus unit multifamily project.
1: So what kind of properties does Devin Elder look for today? Because you said something that right now, everybody, I, you just see it over Facebook, everybody you talk to, or we have a meetup. Oh, we can't find any good deals. We can't find, there's deals out there. So how, how is one, what type of property you looking for? And how does Devin Elder find deals today?
0: Yeah, so I'm looking for 100 plus unit B and C class multifamily where I can project eight, 9% cash on cash returns for my investors. And I'm looking for an equity multiple close to two over a five year period. It's not exactly, you know, an equity multiple means if you give me $100,000, I want to give you back 200000 over five years between cash flow, refinance proceeds, and sale proceeds. Maybe it's 1.9, maybe it's 1.75, but you know, somewhere around there. So it almost kind of, I don't want to say the property doesn't matter, but you know, I'm open to looking at really anything in those parameters. It's a hundred percent investor return driven because I'm syndicating these deals. You know, uh, the last deal I did was a two point, almost $2.5 million equity raise. Um, I'm not going to write a check myself for $2.5 million to put into the project. I am investing in the pro in all my projects for sure, but not to the tune of two and three and $4 million. I'm pulling that capital from other investors. So my point is it's entirely investor return driven. So if I can find a project that meets those parameters, that's something that I want to pursue. I want to get back to your point, Jason, about, you know, there's no deals. And, um, I, you know, I have mixed feelings on that. I've been in the single family space for so long and there was, there were so many amazing deals in 2012 when I got started. I just didn't know they were amazing deals because I didn't have 2018 hindsight. You know, uh, I was picky about amazing deals back then when I would buy them all now. Um, people say that especially, I mean, the market's changed a lot in San Antonio. It is very competitive, very difficult to find deals. We're closing deals on my single family business, you know, every week or a couple of months. I mean, we're finding them. And it's just because my guys are are working harder than everybody else. You know, they're out there pounding the pavement and finding them. So, Kind of the same thing in the multifamily world. We're trying to talk to off-market folks. We're touring a lot of on-market deals. We're trying to make strong offers. You know, we're not, we're not counting on a, a lot of appreciation, um, but we're trying to find some kind of value-add story where we can go in and either improve operations or, or things like that. So, um, you know, a lot of this, really all the multifamily stuff I've done has been through brokers, whether it's on-market or off-market. So, I don't think that translates from single-family to multifamily. Uh, the single-family stuff, we're all it's all pretty much either buying from a wholesaler or buying directly from an owner. The multifamily side, it's really all coming through brokers so, I heavily on that broker network, trying to be the same thing I did, I think, to build my single-family business was just to try to be a great buyer. Do what you say. Close on time. Don't jerk people around. You know, Just be, be a good buyer. I think that served me well in the single-family world. And now just trying to do the same thing in the multifamily world.
1: So how do you split the time between both? You're doing primarily flips now and and the multifamily?
0: Yep. Yeah. What I did was I partnered up with um, somebody last year that had done a great, we'd done partnered on a couple deals. You know, he did the, the rehabs and I was the capital and um, that went very well. And I was so busy with the multifamily stuff that I said, why don't we just start a, a new company here? Let's partner up. You're going to be the operations guy. I'll be the finance guy. And, and, um, you know, I've done done a lot of these and so I can kind of set everything up and basically my systems, you can come in and run them. So that partnership has really been tremendous. And then he brought in a couple of acquisition guys and a designer. So I've kind of got a small team on this, on the single family side, just really running a lot of the day to day. And that's why it frees me up. I would probably say 80, 20 split, 90, 10 split where I'm spending lion's share of my time in the multifamily world, but I don't have to kill the revenue stream from the single family side. And you know, that's a business I built up over years and years. And there's a lot of, you know, there's capital, but then there's, there's other, you know, interpersonal capital and relationship capital in that business that I don't want to just walk away from. Um, and so it, it was really just building the team and finding the right partner, which is critical to a lot of this stuff in real estate.
1: So what would you say is your favorite deal to date, whether multifamily or single family? Man, that's tough.
0: That's yeah. tough. You know, it, I don't know. There's so many different factors, like some deals you, you kind of fall in love with, whether maybe it was the design or things like that. I find that the, the, the money deals, you know, the, the, the deals with the biggest spread um, and, and just cash in the bank, I don't know that those are necessarily the most exciting for me. I've got this one house. This was the first house I tried to flip. This house has a, kind of a special place in my heart and it was such a, I don't know if this is my favorite one, but it's a story. It was the first house I tried to flip. I think it was the first house I borrowed private money on too. Um, and and at the time, you know, I think I bought it for $100,000 or $120,000 or something like that. And it was an area south of downtown in San Antonio, which was like on the, just kind of starting to get some attention from, you know, investors, people wanting to move down there. And this was in 2000, I don't know, 2013. And, so I, I flipped that house, got a bad contractor. Everything kind of went wrong. And I ended up having to refinance it and rent it out, you know. And over time since then, that area has exploded. And now I'm like, boy, I wish I had 10 of those mistakes, you know. And it's this 1910 construction. It's got, still got the original floors. We did a nice rehab. Uh, it, it, it was my office for a while. It was Airbnb for a while. Now it's back to just renting it. But I'm going to hold that thing forever. I'm going to pay it off. And, you know, it's it's tax assessed at like $400,000 now. And, and there's a huge development going in uh, literally across the street. So, you know, one, I don't know. It's like if, if you if you make a mistake in real estate, sometimes you can just hold on and wait. And that kind of can pave over some mistakes sometimes. So that that's a project that I feel like I'll always have forever. Um, and it started out with a huge mistake and a lot of sleepless nights and has kind of worked itself out over time. See, and that's an awesome
1: story. And it, it just goes to note, you don't bank on appreciation, but sometimes it just comes up where you don't expect it. And it's just a huge win for everybody. So yeah, congrats. that's right.
0: Yeah. You never bank on it, but you know, you you, you know, it can be a factor there. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to say I had the foresight or anything. I just, you know, hey, let's refinance it and hold on to it. And boy, a few years later, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm loving that property, you know?
1: And so on the multifamily side, jumping into that, looking back when you were doing that, what's something that you wish you knew or wish you had asked when you were getting into it that you know now?
0: Well, you know, I wish I would have had the number one thing for me. I wish I would have had a better understanding about how different syndication models work because I was part of um, a group that taught it one way. And I just thought that was the gospel. And I thought that for many years. And that's my own fault. But I ended up leaving that group and finding, you know, going to conferences and seeing how and meeting other syndicators and going, oh, this is a far superior model for me. I wish I would have known about this years ago. So I think just the education on how different syndicators structure deals. And that's one of the things I love about multifamily syndication is you kind of have this pie and there's different. Pieces to split up. I mean, I, one of the things I like about specifically about Michael Blanc's underwriting tool. Uh, a guy named Michael Blanc has a, a multifamily underwriting tool that you can buy, and it, it splits everything out. You know, I mean, you can have somebody pay the the. Uh, you know, the, the deposit on the deal and they get some equity. You can have some people raise some capital. They get some equity. You've got asset management. They get some equity. And, and there's just so many creative ways to pull a couple people together and go down and take down these big deals. I didn't know that for years. Even into studying multifamily, I didn't realize that that was an option. And so I was just that that ignorance. You know, if I could have gone back to the starting line with that, arm, with that knowledge, um, that would have been awesome. But, yeah, I try to spend very little time, you know, looking back and having regret.
1: Yeah, that's a great point though. Yeah, actually Michael was on a podcast. We'll put in a show note with, uh which episode it was uh, back uh, before. And then in regards to your point there, it's a great question because you start out in this multifamily route and you feel like you have to do everything but you're right. not you know, what's good at everything. You know, there, there's yes. things I'm not good at. And so I, if I'm trying to work, do everything, I'm, I'm definitely not doing anything great. So as, as soon as you find that, well, I have a person over there and he's got the experience I have the person over there, he's got the credit. I get the person over there. He's good at finding money. I get the person oh, there, yeah. finding deals then I can get back to what I'm good at. Maybe I'm good at underwriting or maybe I'm good at finding deals or maybe I have the, the balance sheet. And if you start picturing these together and what's been driving me nuts we do this multi-fit we have a um a monthly meetup and it's a great group we got you know a bunch of people 60 70 people to meet up outstanding yeah we have about i have to say we probably a tenth of them are looking in north carolina and every time guys will you just partner up together because they all are like trying to like do it at a point. I'm trying to give them to go. And as soon as they do, I, I bet they take down like 10 deals because they're like sure. they're yeah. all ramped up. And I'm like, just partner together. You're going to do great. So that's yeah. like, the talk. I focus on that for like two minutes every time. So not-
0: I, I love it. You know, you make such a good point about focusing on, on fewer things. And that's the thing that I just absolutely love about multifamily is, you know, in single family, I could do a lot of the stuff myself. And so I, I did a lot of the times in the beginning you know, multifamily, you, you really, you can't, it's too big. You've got to give away pieces. You know, I'm a, I'm a proponent of third party property management. That's a huge piece of the pro of the deal, accounting, HR, marketing, staffing, you know, I mean, that is a massive amount of value that the right property management companies bring into the table that, you know, is something that I don't have to worry about. And so my focus is extremely narrow now it's finding and underwriting deals that make sense and putting the money together and being the asset manager. So you know, my scope of work has just, has, has narrowed. And, and I love it because it allows me to get better at those things and and bring on people that are experts in those other areas. And you just, I mean, it's such a cliche, but you just go so much further, faster with the right team. And, you know, seeing that in action in the multifamily world is just super exciting to be a part of.
1: Yeah, I absolutely absolutely agree. And now looking at where you're at in your business, where, where does your business go over the next 12 months, 60 months? What's the plan? Are you still going to continue to focus strongly in multifamily?
0: Yeah, I mean, really, you know, my guys are doing such a good job with the single family business and I spend some time on that. Um, but I, I, I'm not going to use the word autopilot because it's not an autopilot at all, but a lot of systems and people are in place there. And my partner's really helping grow that business. And so I think that continues as long as we both like doing it. could be another year. It could be another 20 years. Who knows? Um, so in the, in the multifamily, that's what I want to continue. You know, my goal for my company is to buy two projects a year, 100 plus units. Um, if it's zero projects a year because we can't find anything that pencils, great. I'm not, you know, I've done the thing in the past where I set a hard target, and, and and you know, you don't want you don't want to get in a bad deal. So I'll never force myself into a bad deal. But you know, with that target out there of closing two deals a year, hundred plus units, um, that kind of sets the tone for everything else. How many tours do I need to go on? How many, you know, lunches with brokers do I need to have? How many equity conversations do I need to have? All that fun stuff, and I, I really enjoy that. So I think I I want to pursue that for the next five years. Um, now look. Something could come along in six months and change my outlook on all this. So this is not hard and fast, but you know, my goal at this point is I just turned 40 this year. I want to, I want to aggressively pursue multifamily as the as the general partner, sponsor, owner, control those for the next five years. And then really, you know, I'm a passive investor in multifamily. And golly, I just got an email from the the sponsor on that deal yesterday. He said, hey, we're marketing this deal. Um, we literally put it out yesterday and it's a deal that I'm a passive investor in and it's looking like a 1.7 equity multiple over like two years, you know? So I'm like, man, I want to be a a more of a passive investor. So I want to be a key principal and a passive investor, investor more and more Over, you know, I think kind of after that, let's say I'm 45 and I've got whatever portfolio, I think I would like to start. Um, spinning down the, the active ones that I'm a part of and be more of a passive investor with syndicators all over the country, you know, just have having investments all over the place that are more passive. So I can focus on my next business venture or spend time with kids, whatever it is. Um, so that's the game plan right now. You know, let's see where, where, what it looks like in three, four years, but that's the, that. that's the pursuit right now.
1: I love that. So I mean, there's a lot of different directions we can go here. If so, let's talk about what's, what's, what's a big hurdle that you faced in your business and what did you do to overcome it?
0: It's always man versus self. I mean, 95% of the time it's me fighting myself. Can I do this? Where am I going to find the money for this? Where, you know, this is a new skill set for me and having that insecurity. I mean, it's always breaking down the walls in my mind of what, what I think is, is, uh, is possible. And, you know, I go back to your point earlier about, somebody's done it you know i mean somebody's out there buying these 100 plus syndicating these 100 plus unit properties and you know i'm sure they're smart people but they're probably not 10 times as smart as me they just have a little bit more specialized knowledge than me or maybe a little bit better connections. so that's it's always been a mental hurdle um another mental hurdle and this is this is such not a tactical thing at all but you know i grew up with very limited resources and a very loving family but very financially limited resources and overcoming that kind of mental constraint was a fundamental challenge for me going going forward i heard somebody say i think maybe it was brandon turner for bigger pockets said at some point as men we all have this idea of what we should earn based on what our uh, what our father earned and that was like this huge you know, kind of aha for me to realize I've got to, I've got to, I've got to break that um, mental barrier of, of kind of where my thermostat at is for what I need to be earning. So I, I you know, I've struggled with that. I struggle with that a lot as we get into these big multi million dollar projects and I can see people that maybe grew up with resources and have more of an expectation about it. Yeah, this is. This is, how, this is how we do it, you know? And and so I think kind of growing into that has been, a, has been a challenge for me. And again, that's not a very tactical response. It's a very personal response. Tactically, you know, I think finding deals is the bottleneck right now in the multifamily world. You know, I think we're seeing it all over, syndicators all over the country. Uh, cap rates are compressed. A uh, lot of money chasing deals, people overpaying for deals. I mean, those are all kind of tactical mm-hmm. problems that we face. But if it wasn't that problem, it'd be something else. I mean, there's going to be problems. The thing I like about deals being scarce is makes it harder. The harder it is, the fewer people are going to be doing it. So that's, that's kind of good for, for us that are out there doing it is if it's hard and, and there's no deal, you know, if you look at a, a group of a hundred people that, that want to syndicate deals and 70 of them go, there's no deals. Well, great. Good. That's That's less people putting in a LOI on the property that I want. So, you know, I think there's always going to be challenges. Inventory, um, is, is one right now. And that, you know, in the next five years there'll be some other challenge. Who knows? What's
1: the 2018 ninja trick for finding deals right now?
0: Ooh, on multifamily. I don't have it. You know, I don't have it. Um, you know, you make a strong, make as strong an offer as you can. Um, I mean, if it's a marketed deal, boy, there's going to be a lot of offers on that thing. Um, I think it's almost just being kind of being willing to walk away from the, from the wrong deal and not falling in love. That's a, that's a tip for not getting a deal. Um, tip for getting a deal. You know, I think it's, I think it's, you know, a friend of mine that it's a syndicator also here in Texas, but not my market. So he was asked the same question on a, on a interview. And he said, uh, I think the interviewer said, what's your, what's your, your strat? your secret for getting these deals. He's like, Oh, there's no secret. It's elbow grease. I mean, it's passing on a hundred deals. It's touring a hundred deals, you know? You had, and, you had pointed that, that earlier. Find one. One.
1: Hey, if you didn't have one, that's it. It's actually getting out there and keep at it. You know, Yeah, so, Put your hands up in air and say, there's no deals, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah. So, I mean, I, I've kind of mentally set myself up for, let's go on a hundred property tours. If I get a deal in, inside of a hundred property tours, cool. But, you know, if you set yourself up for, well, I've, I've toured eight properties and then nothing's panned out. It's like, come on, you have to have a higher threshold than that. So, um, or a ton of properties, make a ton of offers, um, for, for, if they make sense and, uh, you know, eventually, eventually find, find one. And so, you know, at my goal of two a year, I think I'm on track to, you know, to make that happen.
1: So if there's a new real estate investor listening to the podcast right now, what's an actual step they can take today to get started in their real estate journey?
0: Would you say like on the multifamily side or single family? Cause I think it's different for me. You can go either direction. Well, let's say know, multifamily. We'll go that on way. the, on the multifamily side. I think the, the one of the best steps, if in the multifamily investor kind of profile is a little different than the single family investor profile, you know, but I think investing in a syndication is a great first step because it requires, um, very low barrier to entry other than vetting the deal and the sponsor. And if you vet the deal and the sponsor and you feel comfortable with both, then you kind of just write a check and you get the deal and then you can see how that sponsor operates and maybe even ask them questions. Now, if a sponsor has got 50 investors in a deal, he can't be fielding 101 questions from all of them all the time. He's got better things to do, but I think that is a good first step and maybe even step zero is getting educated You know, you've got to have some kind of a mentor or group to plug into, especially on the multifamily side. So um, that's that's step one is you've got to get educated and then start getting networked. you know, to, to, to get started in the, in the multifamily business. Yeah, I
1: absolutely agree. Like people ask, well, how do I talk to brokers when, when I have no experience, but you don't, it's like, you have to be able to talk to talk. You know, you, you gotta, you gotta yep. know exactly what you want. You gotta know the lingo, even if you haven't done a deal. So you can get to the, the walk part later, but you have to be able to go in there and be specific with what you want. And a lot of people will say, well, I want to buy a large multifamily. And the brokers like, I have no idea what that means. You know, like, I don't know if that means yeah. 12 units or a thousand units. I don't know what that means. But if you go in there, sure. I want to buy 75 to 150 units, BC assets in this sub market. Okay. They got a little basis for it. So do your yeah, own. Great point. Yeah. Be specific. I absolutely love that. And you, you've talked a lot today about, about the mental mindset of just, of just what you need to do to get, whether it wasn't a single family and then it wasn't sort of multifamily. Do you have a morning routine or something that helps you throughout your day to set, set your mind right?
0: Yeah, I do. Um, the, the first thing, and I really just started implementing this recently uh, after a trip to Disney with my family where I turned my, uh, you know, I needed my phone because all these uh, pictures, you know, I want to take pictures of my kids and video. But I turned my email off and I would check it. We were out there for five days. I would check my email for 15 minutes at, you know, 6 p.m crank out anything I need to delegate anything I need to, and then shut it back down. And, and I was like, wow, that actually works. So now what I do at, at around 6 PM is I shut off my email. I'm still on my phone. I might get on Facebook or I might take, you know, I'm taking pictures or, or, or whatever, but I shut the email off and then I don't turn it on again until I'm ready to work. So I get up and then I, the first thing I do is, is, is I write. Um, I just find that writing, whatever's bothering me or whatever I, I spend, uh, probably 15, 20 minutes just writing and I, I almost without fail within five or 10 minutes of just writing, whatever's on my mind. It, I don't, it's, there's no direction to it. Stuff starts to come up that's bothering me or, or, and potential solutions for it. And it gives me this mental clarity for the day that is really something priceless. So I write every morning. Uh, and then I, I used to get up and start knocking out my tasks, you know, 530 in the morning, six o'clock, I'm knocking out tasks. And uh, it was just a miserable way to live. And so, so now I get up, I do my writing routine, I have time with my kids and breakfast, and then I you know, take shower, work out, and then it might be 8.30, but I don't open that email until then. And then when I do, I've, it's got my full undivided attention and I can attack it. So that's been a, a ritual for me that's just really created a lot of um, mental clarity for me on, on how I want to move forward with the business in my life.
1: That's an awesome plan. I love that. The emails now, just the accessibility of emails are just never
0: ending. You know, like, yeah, two in the morning, I,
1: I got an email.
0: Do I check yeah, it? Yeah. And it's, that? you know, the, it's crept up off, on. you know, when did the iPhone come out? Like 2007? I mean, you know, Blackberry before that. But we invited this into our lives without any permission, you know. And, and this is really, I don't know. I, I mean, for me personally, you just, you, you've got to draw the line on, on your headspace. And what's going to interrupt your family time and and your morning time. And the last thing you want to do is read a a bad email that came in at 11 o'clock last night. You know, you don't want to read that thing at six in the morning. It sets a poor tone for the whole day when you could just attack it at 830 when you're fully engaged in in work mode. So anyway, um, something that I I struggle with, but but, uh, try and keep that in check.
1: It's a great point for everybody listening. Think about how much focus you lose every day and, and just how hard it is to get back in your tasks. And we could just focus on that, you know, it's like the big rocks. And I'm I'm guilty of this myself. If my big rock, you know, buying multifamily that was my focus ninety-eight percent of the day, where will I be compared to all the little tasks that that sideswipe you throughout the day? So Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What are some words you live by?
0: Well, I the the the, the I guess mantra for my life is to make every day a good last day. You know, I think when I got into my mid to late thirties, I just had this epiphany that, well, this is someday, all the things I thought about as a kid or that I wanted to do or be, or the life I wanted to have, man, this is it. I'm married. I have children. I have a career. Like I'm not going to, this is, this is it right now. So, you know, there's going to be lots of exciting things in the future with my family and my business, but there's no more grinding away and hating today for some future day because that could that could be gone. You know that could totally be gone—heart attack, get hit by you know car wreck or whatever. So I want to make every day, even if I'm working, something that I would be okay, you know, with if if that was if that was it. So a lot of that comes down to family. You know, am I spending? Am I being present with my family? Not just spending hours with them around them, but being present, you know, the phones away and, and things like that. And that's really informed and shaped a lot of uh, how I structure my day and, and what I do and what kind of business opportunities I pursue is, you know, is this a, am, am I living a day here that would, that would be a good last day if this was it. And I think if I do that for over the years, and hopefully decades, I, I look back on a life that, that, you know, I'm, I'm happy about.
1: Well, that's a great way to wrap up the podcast. And Devin, thank you very much for being with us. If others want to connect with you, what would be the best way to find out a little bit more about you?
0: The easiest would be my web, the main company website. That's DJE Texas. So Delta Juliet Echo Texas spelled out.com. There's, I got a ton of videos on there. There's a lot of educational content, uh, a look at some of our projects, blogs, stuff like that. And then obviously they can reach out to me through that too. So that'd be the best, the best catch-all place to check it out.
1: Awesome. Well, Devin, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate your time. Some great points, a ton of value for the listeners.
0: Awesome. I hope, I hope so. I hope somebody found some value in it. And I really appreciate you taking the time with me. Thanks so much, Jason.
1: Well, this is uh, Jason uh, on his own today, and and we recorded and everything, so, so no technical mishaps on the Real Estate Investing Foundation podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Check back soon. Bye now.
0: Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.